0: Today, Global News, Ottawa Bureau Chief Mercedes Stevenson on the RCMP, having contacted Jody Wilson-Raybould over SNC-Levland and that story. The Conservative Party Deputy Leader, Lisa Raitt, called out Justin Trudeau and the Liberals concerning the Ethics Commissioner's Report. You'll hear Michael Bryant, Canadian Civil Liberties Executive Director, on the Ethics Commission's Report, and whether a police investigation is required. 18 years, Dan McTague was a Liberal Member of Parliament. He has a to say about that story as well and from california larry levine of the wall street prison consultants mr levine who spent 10 years inside american prisons has a lot to say about jeffrey epstein he doesn't believe the suicide declaration and from hong kong or on hong kong and the crisis involving china we'll be hearing from the director of the kissinger institute on china and the united states on what could happen in that critical mass situation Mercedes Stevenson joins us, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for Global News. Mercedes, thank you for the time. I was just talking to Lisa Raiden. She was surprised at what uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould shared with you. Were you?
1: Uh, yes, we were all quite surprised uh, because, of course, this has been in question, whether or not the RCMP have been digging around. And I can tell you I had... Um, security sources who had told me they were watching her testimony very closely. They were watching the testimony of others very closely. They were interested in the ethics report, but nothing that suggested it was at a level of a criminal investigation. And by the way, it's important to point out to your listeners, we still don't know what's going on. There's no evidence there's a criminal investigation. But it is unusual for the RCMP to call somebody and sit down with them. And uh, we had no idea that this had happened Back in the spring, we, we still don't know exactly when it happened. Um, Ms. Wilson Raybould wouldn't get into more detail beyond saying it happened in the spring. That of course, of course, would be after her testimony, which was in February. Uh, but yes certainly bombshell news yesterday that the RCMP had not only contacted her, but that she had what she described as discussions and communications with them.
0: And congratulations on getting that particular story, because that is a missing piece that we're all interested in. And I wonder now whether that might signify that Jody Wilson-Raybould may, in fact, be starting to talk about maybe not what she's gagged about, but more than we've been able to hear from her in the past.
1: Well, certainly interesting because she, she's a very careful person in what she says. She chooses her words very carefully. Uh, and you'll hear that and see that in the interview, and, and she's known for that. Um, she always has been, but in particular, even more now. So it was stunning to hear from her that she had been in, in contact with the police. And, of course, it raises the question of have they contacted anybody else? What are they talking about? Will they contact anybody again? after this now we know she talked to them at some point because they told her she was allowed to say she'd been interviewed Um, whereas my impression is that perhaps before that she had not been allowed to say so but you know does that mean that they are going to now call other people based on things that were in that report we have all these questions and not a lot of answers I can tell you um, I I asked Jerry Butts if he's been contacted I hadn't heard back from him at the time that we're going to air Um, he'd initially told me no before that uh, that was not very long ago that was a few few weeks ago, um, and PMO tells me that neither the Prime Minister or anybody working for the Prime Minister's office or representing them, because of course lawyers represent them, uh, none of them have been contacted, and Bill Morno has not been contacted, but is sort of raised a specter again of what's actually going on with this, and are the police involved in some way? We know at least now that they were certainly making calls uh, to Jody Wilson-Raybould and having discussions with her.
0: Mercedes, it's hard to believe that three weeks ago we were wondering whether this particular story would have the legs to carry through to October. And and here it is just dominating the news. So let me ask you this. What issues and questions has the Dion report raised or returned to sharp focus for you particularly?
1: Well, I I think we learned some interesting things in that report. And among them, um, we learned uh, that there is certainly a question about um, what exactly was SNC-Lavalin doing? Because we don't have evidence of that. And you're going to hear my door bang here. I apologize. I'm coming back from the Afghanistan Memorial Redication. So thank you very much, sir. Always thank your Uber driver. Uh, <laughs> and I can tell you, Roy, that um, we didn't know that SNC-Lavalin was the source of the original proposal that SNC-Lavalin should get a deferred prosecution agreement. Apparently, Jody Wilson-Raybould didn't know that either. Now, I did ask her if she thought now if there's anything criminal in this because remember before she had said no, she did not believe there was anything criminal. What she says this time in the interview is interesting because it's not a no. It's that she could only speak to what she had known previously and uh, we know that there is information here that she has publicly said she was not aware of until it was produced so that in itself is very interesting and you know look we're still a month out from the writ drop this doesn't mean that we're going to see this continue it's entirely possible that nothing else comes of it if though questions continue to be asked um, that's going to push it and, and certainly I can tell you that the opposition is going to push this as hard as they can number one the ethics commissioner's report and now number two the questions about why were the RCMP making phone calls and are they still... And Roy, as well, the statement from the RCMP was quite unusual. Typically, they won't confirm or deny an investigation or they flat out deny. And in this case, they just keep saying they're looking at all the information that's out there and they'll take appropriate action. What I found interesting is Wilson-Raybould reflected those identical terms in her interview to me and said she trusts the RCMP to take appropriate action, which, of course, as a journalist, leads us to the question, well, what is appropriate action? And we don't know the answer to that.
0: So looking forward to the interview tomorrow on the West Block with you and Jody Wilson-Ray Bolt. And it's opened up an entire new avenue of thinking and analysis and questions that need to be asked. And uh, Mercedes, thank you so much for the time. And just as an aside, an important one. It must have been an emotional experience for the rededication of the Kandahar Memorial.
1: It was. I haven't seen that memorial since 2010. Uh, It was very emotional to see the families of the fallen and and those who were in Afghanistan. And uh, I can tell you, Roy, that when they did the missing man formation with the helicopters, the skies spontaneously opened up and started to rain. And that was an incredibly emotional moment that felt like tears coming down from above.
0: Thank you, Mercedes. Thank you. Mercedes Stevenson, the host of the West Block Bureau Chief, Global News Bureau Chief. Ottawa Bureau Chief. Watch the show tomorrow and see that interview with Jody Wilson-Raybould. The Conservative Party of Canada's response to the scathing report by Parliamentary Ethics Commissioner Mario Dion concerning Mr. Trudeau's attempt to exert influence in the SNC-Lavalin scandal. Well, for that, let's go to the deputy leader of the Conservative Party, Lisa Raitt, joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. That's right. Thank you for the time. You know, two or three weeks ago, we were wondering whether this story had run out of steam and whether people would even remember uh, come October. That may still be a question by the end of October, but it certainly hasn't run out of steam.
2: No, not at all. And it's funny, I sent that letter off to um, ask whether or not they were going to be uh, releasing the Ann McClellan report and as if you recall the Prime Minister's response was well we'll we sent it over to the Ethics Commissioner and what I found interesting about that Roy is according to the Ethics Commissioner information the Prime Minister would have known the content of much of the report by July 19th so he was just hanging they were trying to figure out which way they were going to spin the narrative based upon what they thought was coming from the Ethics Commissioner so he knew that the the release of the Ethics Commissioner was imminent. We didn't. We didn't know that was going to be coming as it did last Thursday or Wednesday, uh, but now it's out. We are we have a lot to deal with in this report. I have to say,
0: the RCMP is saying they're carefully reviewing the SNC developments involving the PM and the PMO. What does that suggest to you? You're a lawyer, and do you know more than than we do?
2: I don't know more than you do. What I do know is um, another reporter, another person in a, another. Uh, Kinsella has written that he heard that the rcmp had asked mr Butts's personal um, computer and telephone government issue telephone and um, that was back in in the march time as frame as well when when um, ms wilson raybrook was questioned by the rcmp or or had a visit from them so i don't know any more about it in fact there was some stuff that came out in this ethics report from the commissioner that I had no knowledge of, had suspected, like the the amount of back and forth and how and how fully really involved SNC level members were with the prime minister's office. But I think they're taking a look at it carefully because it's a piece of work. The ethics commissioner interviewed appropriate people, got a list of some documents, not all of them, of course. Um, but based upon that, I'm sure the RCMP want to know a little bit more because, uh, as was pointed out, the um, To see the way the facts came out, it looks as if people were deliberately trying to either misinform or keep information away from the Attorney General of Canada and going behind her back. That is something that has grave concerns when it comes to the criminal code.
0: Ms. Ray, can I get you to move either three steps to the right or three steps to the left? Because the signal from your phone is is, is breaking up. And sometimes when you walk five feet, it becomes perfect. I don't know which direction to send you in. Probably to the right, not to the good. left. I, I'll send I think you. this is a good one. Okay, okay, I'll send you to the right, not to the left. Um,
2: I'll move towards the window.
0: <laughs> when Mr. Dion. Says that he didn't have access to speak to everyone he wanted to speak with. Nine individuals specifically were not uh, free to speak with him. We also have the continuing gag order on Jody Wilson-Raybould. That doesn't that, that causes that, that causes me some really significant concerns. I would imagine it causes a significant number of Canadians concerns.
2: It does. And, you know, Jane Philpott, who also is involved in this, when she did a a radio interview or television interview this week, she delineated some circumstances that she felt were inappropriate considerations for the prime minister to take in determining whether or not to give this deferred prosecution agreement to SNC-Lavalin to help them out, as it were. And she spoke of one Kind of thing where she said, "You know, we shouldn't be doing things that are for political advancement. We shouldn't be doing things that, because we are trying to help people who are supporters." And she she went through a couple of these things, which leads me to conclude: Are these the types of things that they heard about in cabinet? Is this the discussion that we're looking for? Was this just all about making sure that SNC lavalin who's been a very good found funder of the Liberal Party of Canada, illegally and legally over the years? Was this just trying to make sure that they, they did them a favor? And did that discussion actually happen at Cabinet? Because if it did, then that's significant to whether or not the RCMP should be looking into this.
0: Do you want them to? Do you think there's reason to? Uh, do, again, oh, yeah. You're the lawyer. Is, is it obstruction of justice?
2: I think this is something that merits an investigation, plain and simple. Um, I think there is also an avenue there where you can take a look about whether or not there's been abuse of trust. And, you know, I'm sure that they're taking a look at all aspects of the criminal code that could be part of it. It's a serious matter, Roy. I mean, you can't put too fine a point on it. The prime minister used every power in his office to try to make the attorney general give SNC-Lavalin a break so that they didn't have to go through criminal prosecution. And it was continuous, and it was duplicitous, and underhanded. And the ethics commissioner saw it for what it was, did not believe a word that the um, the lawyers for the prime minister said in their response to the ethics commissioner, and didn't believe the prime minister, quite frankly. When they did interview him in May, so I think there's, there's definitely someone has to be able to get to the bottom of it because it goes to our democracy. What do you say to the politicians?
0: What do you say to the people who say the ethics commissioner overstepped his bounds?
2: Oh, I think that's ridiculous. Um, And you know what? My my response to Mr. Trudeau when he says I, I disagree with some of his findings you know what if you disagree then go to court and judicial review there's a there's a mechanism when you disagree with somebody who has made a decision it's called going to court and getting a judicial review but he doesn't want to do that because he knows that all he wants to do is say that there was something wrong with it and and cast dispersions and cause all kinds of murkiness instead of saying no on principle i think you were wrong so let's go to court and we'll let a court sort it out but he's not going to do that because he knows he's wrong
0: you're not asking him to resign
2: well, no, I'm, you know, my leader, Andrew, talked about this clearly. We asked for the resignation, but we all know he's not going to resign. So now it's up to Canadians. We're 10 weeks away from an election and Canadians see the emperor for what he is. He's got no clothes on now and they can see the fact that he utilized whatever power he had. In, and then when it didn't work, he then set about to tearing down the reputation of, uh, of the attorney general of Canada behind her back and, and continues to do so.
0: You know what I find really troubling is this 9,000 jobs issue, 9,000 jobs. He's back to talking about trying to save jobs. Why, where exactly is there proof? And I said in the last hour of the show, speaking with Michael Bryant, the executive director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, Jean Chrétien said a proof is a proof is a proof. Well, let's fu- where's the proof that 9,000 jobs were ever at stake? Have you seen any there proof? Is, there
2: is not. There is not. A- not an ounce or a shred of evidence, and even the finance minister, when he was asked that question by the ethics commissioner, said, no, there's there's nothing to prove that. There's nothing in the documents. It's a, it's a number that they've come up with on the fly because they realize they have to try to duck behind something, a motivation that seems to be more palatable to Canadians rather than naked political ambition.
0: And the uh, CEO, or former CEO, I guess of SNC on March 20th, Uh, Disputed that 9,000 jobs figure himself. Here's the last question for you. You want liberal members of parliament to agree to uh, allow the probe to go forward at the ethics committee, parliamentary ethics committee, and Mr. Dion, the ethics commissioner, uh, said he'd make himself available on short notice. Is that going to happen? Do you think there's any chance?
2: Well, I'm going to... You know what, there... How do I put this? Uh, the ethics commissioner is a creature of Parliament. He is actually there to make sure all parliamentarians, regardless of partisan stripe, are following the rules. Mm-hmm. And we normally believe what he has to say. They 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 have said that they don't think that he got this right. I think the ethics commissioner deserves the ability to come in and explain to us his reasoning and explain to us the facts as he sees them so that we can at least allow him... come forward and say, well, the Prime Minister may disagree with me, but here's the reasons why I said the things I said. Otherwise, he doesn't have the the ability to do so. And I think all parliamentarians owe him, owe him that response, owe him that ability to come forward and explain why instead of having, you know, everybody on Twitter trying to analyze uh, sets of facts that they really didn't have all the facts for. So I'm going to be optimistic. And I will be very disappointed if they just decide that they're going to protect their prime minister, who continues to to tell mistruths, shall we say, on the national stage.
0: I do have one more, more question for you. I'm speaking with Mercedes Stevenson in just a couple of minutes, the host of the West Block, Ottawa Bureau Chief for Global News, who had the interview with Jody Wilson-Ray Bolden, which Miss Wilson-Ray Bolden said that the RCMP had been in touch with her in the spring.
2: Did that surprise you? It did. It surprised me. Um, I'm glad that they are aware of the situation. I was also heartened by the, the statement that the RCMP put out saying that they were carefully looking at the, the report because that shows that they're still very much seized with the issue. And that they're looking into it and this isn't look this isn't a partisan election ploy you've noted that i'm an officer of the court I'm i'm a lawyer i take this stuff very seriously when politicians try to intervene in the judiciary or with the crown prosecutor you just can't let that wall fall you really can't and it doesn't matter that it's about his notion that jobs take precedence over what is proper in the executive separation of powers he's wrong on that it this is You appoint an attorney general, she makes a decision. If you don't like the decision, that's too bad. That is the way that our system works. She's the chief legal officer of this country, or she was, and she made the right decision.
0: Ms. Raitt, good talking to you again. Thank you for the time.
2: As always, right, thank you very much.
0: Lisa Raitt, deputy leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. We were wondering whether or not The SNC-Lavalin story, the prime minister's office, engagement, uh, pressuring Jody Wilson-Raybould, the former attorney general, former uh, star of the liberal government, whether that would really have any traction left by the time people vote on the 21st of October. So here we are after the week we've just experienced, and it's still going on, of course, after uh, the ethics commissioner federally, Mario Dion released his report about Mr. Trudeau and Trudeau's involvement in that particular situation. And as you know, Justin Trudeau has not come out very well. So it's very interesting that Jody Wilson-Raybould told Global News Ottawa bureau chief and the host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevens, that the RCMP contacted her earlier this year about SNC-Lavalin.
2: Have a listen. I haven't been contacted by the RCMP since they issued their statement, Um, but I I will say that I have been uh, contacted by the RCMP, and that uh, occurred last spring. So,
0: they were interested, the RCMP were interested last spring in the story, sufficiently so that they contacted the former Attorney General, but so far... After the Dion report, the RCMP haven't contacted the former attorney general. There's so much in play here. There are so many moving parts. In February of this year, Michael Bryant, the former attorney general for the province of Ontario, and the executive director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, said this, messing with the administration of justice is not just bad politics, it may be a crime. And Mr. Bryan joins us on the Roy Green Show. Michael, thank you for the time. My pleasure. So here we are. You said that in February. Here we are in, in August after the Dion report was re- released. You don't feel the same way about a police investigation now, do you?
3: I, you know, I said it may be a crime, and it looks like um, it's not a crime. Uh, that the actions of the Prime Minister, based on the Dion report, were reckless. And, uh, but, uh, obstruction of justice, you you need to willfully or intentionally um, uh, interfere with uh, a prosecution. And uh, he did attempt to interfere with a prosecution. There's no question that the Prime Minister did that, in a fashion I've never... um, seen before uh, in, in my lifetime anyways for whatever it's worth. But uh, it wasn't a crime. It's obviously a violation. He ended up violating um, the ethics code uh, for the second time uh, in this parliament and in this government's uh, history uh, but but not a crime. And from um, from our perspective at Canadian Civil Liberties Association um, the efforts made to defend SNC-Lavalin are, are are appropriate by SNC-Lavalin and their lawyers. I mean, they're trying to vigorously defend their presumption of innocence, and they're allowed to do that. We want that for all Canadians, whether they're powerful or not. Um, I, one of our, our biggest beef, really, is that this government um, puts so much energy and effort to defend one powerful um, constituent and, um, I guess, ally of, uh, of Justin Trudeau While there were so many other issues affecting so many Canadians within the criminal justice system, I mean, uh, that they didn't turn their attention to reforming solitary confinement. Uh, They just changed the name of solitary confinement, Uh, changing the bail laws so that people stop going to jail in circumstances where they shouldn't, Um, uh, the over-incarceration of Indigenous people. Let's just take those three. Nothing of significance went through the legislature on that. And yet in the most important bill that any government ever presents, the budget bill, there it was. Uh, a law changed entirely for one company, SNC-Lavalin, uh, involving one prosecution uh, mm-hmm. that would have uh, affected that company. And uh, and the prime minister said would have affected his constituents, but he is the prime minister. If he wants to fight for his constituents... Um, he needs to not do that in a way uh, that abuses his power as prime minister and sometimes you do have to put your your executive or cabinet or constitutional hat on and it might not necessarily be in the interests of your constituents to do that, but that's your job, and that's certainly the prime minister's job. but But a criminal investigation looked like the RCMP has been watching this all along, which mm-hmm. is a brand new revelation that you just reported, you know obviously that you just highlighted from Jody Wilson rayboulds
0: comments. It is. And what does it say to you? And, and look, it's inevitable that when you're interviewed, you're going to be asked to wear all sorts of hats. Right. Criminal defense lawyer, attorney general, right. executive director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. We just put all those hats on your head, whether you like it or not. Uh, it's inevitable It's inevitable that we do that. But what does it say to you? And we heard Jody Wilson-Raybould say that she was contacted by the RCMP in the spring. What does it say to you that the RCMP have told Global News uh, here's here's their quote the RCMP is examining this matter now this is this week carefully with all available information and will take appropriate actions as required what does that say to you
3: well it, it is it's the first t- as far as I know uh, and I might be mistaken but it's the first time that they've acknowledged publicly that you know that they opened a file to investigate whether or not any criminal wrongdoing took place as a result of um, all the, well, let's just pick the revelations in the ethics commissioner's report, in the Dion report. Um, and, uh, it, you know, I'm, I'm, this is good news for those who believe in the independence of the justice system, because the facts uh, presented to the public presented more than enough evidence uh, to trigger uh, a criminal investigation into obstruction of justice than, you, you know, you typically see every day So I I had clients where, you know, a police officer would say to my client, where's your boyfriend? And instead of just saying, look, I have the right to remain silent, I'm going to remain silent, she said, I don't know. Well, she did know where her boyfriend was, and they charged her with obstruction of justice. So, you know, if that's obstruction of justice, like, as far as I'm concerned, a a very flimsy exercise, but technically accurate exercise, why is it that the powerless person a uh, client that I'm describing here uh gets investigated and charged but the but the but the powerful prime minister um doesn't get investigated now it, you know the, I think the police can look at the evidence now and say there's no, you know that if even if there's enough to charge, there's no reasonable prospect of of conviction here because there is zero evidence that he willfully obstructed justice but he he did so recklessly. And, 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 you know, for that, he gets held to account. Well, to let, me
0: the ask you, let me ask you this, if I may. Um, Mr. Dion pointed out that there were nine individuals who remained off limits to his investigation. And, of course, the gag order remains in place for Jody Wilson-Raybould. At least the optics of that are poor. And I guess part B of this, part B of this is uh, if the RCMP are saying they're carefully reviewing what's going on now, and Jody Wilson-Raybould says she was contacted by the RCMP in the springtime. Do we have one investigation that's been stretching along that we didn't know about? Or are there two investigations that we're finding out about?
3: Uh, uh, right. I mean, I, I'm, and we, I think we'd have to speculate there. And, of course. And the, uh, my speculation uh, is it's all the same um, investigation. It's all part of whether or not... The actions of the prime minister and the prime minister's office amounts to interference with the discretion of either the attorney general or the director of public prosecutions.
0: So it's conceivable they could have a large file.
3: Well, yeah, they uh, like well, you know, every one would hope that the police do a lot of investigating before laying a charge, yeah. and um, that doesn't always happen, uh, but. Uh, in this case, um, you know, understandably, uh, that is what's happening. And I say understandably because, um, you know, the police aren't going to um, uh, uh, lay a charge against the prime minister uh, without having done their
0: homework. Okay, uh, let Okay, we by, have to by. take a break in a second here, but I just want to run this by you again. Uh, Mr. Dion pointed out that nine individuals remained off limits to his investigation, and the former attorney general remains under A gag order, as the executive, where the the head of the the executive director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association here. How disturbing is that to you?
3: Yeah, no, that's a problem. The the gag order on on uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould makes no sense to me. And secondly, we should have been told about this investigation earlier. The Prime Minister's Office must have known. There must have been somebody who was contacted by the PMO by somebody in the RCMP. They can't just have contacted Jody Wilson-Raybould. And so, you know, my question would be, you know, why would the Prime Minister's Office not disclose that they're the subject of the Prime Minister of a criminal investigation? And and also, why why were some members of the office? Uh, not made available to the to the to them, and uh, you know i, I like I, I fight for everybody 's due process, and I guess that includes the Prime Minister of Canada but you know in the scheme of things of all Canadians um, that um, probably deserve to be more forthcoming about a criminal investigation against them than others because everybody 's presumed innocent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the prime minister owes a duty to the people to let him know if people in his office sort sure of he is being investigated by the police.
0: Sure does. Uh, Mr. Bryant. 9000 jobs. This one is really disturbing or troublesome because we have the prime minister saying he's protecting jobs. And I, I guess he's pointing at those 9000 jobs. But where's the proof that 9000 jobs were ever at stake?
3: Yeah, that's, look, I think I think those are that question is particularly well put to uh, Ms. Ray and other um, political opponents. Obviously, I have views. I mean, I have my inner politician is crying is crying out to be heard, but I, I'm just going to stick to my job as the executive director of the C- CCLA and answering your question. Understood. Understood. And just say this.
0: Uh, okay, uh, go it, ahead. It, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
3: It, so the 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 whole the the creation of the. Uh, prosecution um, of, of that new option created for corporations, you know, which basically means powerful corporations get treated differently under the criminal code than individuals. Uh, j- the very creation of that uh, speaks to this idea that somehow the economic impact ought to influence the criminal justice system, and and it needs to be pointed out that you know there's economic impact. To everything that the criminal justice system does. I mean, talk about devastating families. You know, if you're the children and spouse of a person who gets criminally convicted, um, there's a socioeconomic impact on your family. You better believe it. And so this isn't, you know, the only time that uh, there be a socioeconomic impact arising from the criminal justice system. But this is what happens when a corporation uh, I you know, uh, isn't um, looking after itself to the point where um, it doesn't prevent or catch criminal behavior, even though it may be happening on the other side of the world. And repeatedly. And repeatedly. So, uh, and those are, of course, are allegations that need to be proven in court. But in the event that they get proven of court, yes, yes, there are socioeconomic impacts. And yes, there will be an impact for the shareholders, no question. But will there be an impact on on jobs? Uh, You know, I mean, I those infrastructure projects will need to be done. There's no question. Those infrastructure projects will need to be done, and whether they're done by SNC-Lavalin or one of their competitors, and whether or not um, the free market can jump in there to to fill those jobs with the former SNC-Lavalin employees. We'll have to see. But I, I'm not so sure that an economist would agree. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I'm not sure an economist would agree with the presumption that that, uh, that the justification for this is jobs. And uh, it, 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 it's a bit of a lazy
0: argument, uh, I think. And to repeat it, just emphasizes that point.
3: Uh, yes, I think I, I think that's true, and, and and that's you know look that's the political answer to a constitutional problem, right. and it's a consti- it's a complicated constitutional problem. And Roy, I don't know what you think, but I you know my sense is, and, and, and on this front, I'm going to let the inner politician speak out. You know, I don't, I, I, I'm not sure that this is having is going to have a um, an impact at the ballot box. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it's a little too complicated. Um, you know, if you told me that a prime minister would have two violations of an ethical code found uh, within his or her term, I'd say, yeah, now that that probably is not someone who's going to get reelected. But I don't get the sense that voters are responding in that fashion, and that's just how democracy works—the okay. way our constitution is supposed to work. Well. Uh, It was certainly stress testing. All right,
0: uh, Mr. Bryant, I have to stop you here. Thank you so much for your time again. Thank you very much. Michael Bryant, executive director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, former attorney general for the province of Ontario. We have to separate the politics from the reality, but this is an absolute, absolute mess. And it really, really needs to be uh, properly and directly addressed with Canadians knowing what, in fact, happened. We need to know. All right, so from the liberal perspective, my good friend Dan McTague, 18 years, a member of uh, the Liberal Party and member of parliament and liberal governments under the uh, direction of first Jean Chrétien, and then Paul Martin, and uh, Dan, it's good to have you with us. It's good to be here. What does this week speak about to you? Well, it brings back memories of two
4: events that took place, both, uh, you know, having uh, episodic effects, not just on uh, the Canadian public, but I think uh, on on members of Parliament, uh, candidates running in the federal election. The first, Roy, which you and I discussed way back in 2005, 2006, we had the what I call the eternal campaign because it started in November with the fall of the Martin government in the House of Commons on a vote of confidence and didn't end until the middle to end of January. And it was during that period of time that a member of parliament by the name of Judy Walsh, Lisa Lease, an NDP member, had sent a letter to the RCMP asking if uh, there was an investigation as a result of something called income trust. Uh, that was a, a change in the uh, information, or in in the uh, allowance uh, to have income trusts, and there was a belief that uh, someone within the finance department uh, had <clears throat> leaked the information, and several people had taken advantage of it. Nevertheless, I recall uh, taking a Christmas break in that election. Uh, we were ahead ten points. This came out. RCMP confirmed Ms. washa Lisa Lisa's letter that they were in fact investigating. We dropped ten percent. We subsequently lost the election. The second is not one that uh, I think we'll forget and that's the Gomery Inquiry and uh, both of those uh, two events having to do and ultimately vindicating the the leadership of the Liberal Party at the time uh, you know really was enough to cause tectonic shifts in terms of public perception of our party. This is different Roy and it's different because it can be laid directly and it's traced directly to the Prime Minister. And his handlers. And so for that reason, uh, this is far more serious. And it's not likely that liberals will be able to escape this uh, one way or another, because it's far more serious than anything I've seen, certainly in my time, in my life, uh, as a longstanding liberal.
0: You know, the the, the question that I have and the thought that I had uh, yesterday was, it's going to be very difficult, particularly for the backbenchers in the Liberal Party, those who were Consigned to the political gulag in two thousand and fifteen and have been there since to go out door knocking now and represent and try to pitch and sell the man at the center of this situation.
4: no, it will be impossible and and regardless, I mean your base of support will always be there, and there will always be people of course who say, that's fine, just whatever uh, we'll we'll vote for you. But it's that 10% that uh, tends to swing votes and ridings that I've had in the 905. I think Liberals are completely uh, in, in a backspin. They know that they're going to lose a lot of those seats, uh, seats that they might have been very competitive with up until very recently. Uh, but I think in those seats, uh, this is probably going to be, uh, it won't pal- pass the smell test. And of course, they are going to be regaled, regardless of what the parties do in terms of the election. We still have the RCMP investigation, which you alluded to, uh, possibly. And and of course, they go the last person to be investigated will, in fact, be the Prime Minister in his office. They're going around getting details from everybody else, including perhaps even the nine people who've been prevented uh, by the Prime Minister's office from testifying, both before the parliamentary committees, uh, plural committees, because there were two committees involved with this, uh, than the Senate committee, and they were also prevented from giving evidence, uh, which would have been protected to the ethics counselor. So for that commissioner, and for that reason, uh, you will just see more of this reminder, especially if Canadians are thinking, well, hey, this will go by, people will be back, kids are going back to school on the 4th or the 3rd of September. No, this is going to continue. Uh, we know that Judy Wilson-Raybould's book comes out very soon, and there will be a litany of other details and information that's going to continue to make this uh, an impossible situation for the Prime Minister. Now, yesterday, Roy, I made it very clear, as someone who's been in the party for a long time, no axe to grind, uh, and I really mean that, uh, I think it's uh, for the sake of the Liberal Party, uh, Justin Trudeau should be giving serious thought right now to quitting. And if he doesn't, he's going to be taking the party down with him.
0: Yeah. Uh, take that proverbial walk in the snow in August. Now, what I, what I find interesting here as well, one, one thing that I want to ask you is this. When you're interfering, and by you, I mean you're the prime minister, you're the inner circle of the PMO. You're interfering with the attorney general for Canada, the country's top law enforcement officer, representing justice in Canada. She was also the minister of justice. If you're interfering with the attorney general, I would think that would be particularly galling, particularly troublesome to national law enforcement and if I were national law enforcement, and this had happened to the attorney general, I'd be taking a really serious and hard look because I know I'd know that whatever I was going to do was going to be d- debated and uh, and and uh, very carefully scrutinized by the people of this country. I would I would almost feel, Dan, that I had an extra responsibility level. Yeah.
5: Well, I think people will have
4: that, and, and those who try to sort of shunt this aside and suggest it was all about jobs, we have to recognize that the charges against N C. Lavalin are corruption of public officials. You cannot use a deferred prosecution. It must be tried criminally. You can't get around that, and you can't use national interest or jobs. We also know, of course, that there were no jobs that were at play, but I think what we may be looking at, if the RCMP is to proceed with this, they're, they have a panoply of options, but... we see a scenario where they uh, are looking at uh, issues of very clearly of of obstruction of justice are they looking at issues that deal with uh, conspiracy Uh, are they looking at issues of breach of trust i don't know roy but i do know that this is perhaps the most beyond the question of ethics because everyone can say well ethics is different than law Uh, this is perhaps uh, the greatest scandal i've seen laid at the feet of a prime minister uh, in our generation and possibly in the past two centuries i can only think of the Uh, Perhaps going back to the 1870s with the uh, railway scandal that took down Sir John A. Macdonald temporarily. Um, I mean, Canadians can say, well, we don't like Mr. Shear. we're concerned about Rob Ford or Trump. They can use all the, you can jiggle and you can dance. At the end of all of this, there's a far more serious problem which goes corrosively to the ability, the moral right to govern that the Prime Minister, I think, has lost here. And that it's very apparent, I think, to Liberals who don't have a direct impact or who can't speak out. We know that Liberal caucus members can't say much. Hector caucus was replete with the Katie Telfords and the Gerald Buttses, something I'd never seen in my Time they have been kicked out. We saw that as sacrosanct. I think we have a far more serious crisis of leadership in this country, and it's not very far. One doesn't have to go very far down the road uh, to point fingers and to say this is what needs to be excised, this is what needs to be cut out in order to make things better and to restore the integrity in our democratic and judicial institutions.
0: I have two minutes, two part question. You know Jean Chrétien, you know Paul Martin, you're very familiar with the senior level of the liberal party people who have a tremendous amount of influence how are they reacting what do you suppose they're doing now and then part two of this question because you know the man himself justin trudeau what do you expect from him now
4: well, i think the two older prime ministers are probably distancing themselves from the prime minister uh prime minister trudeau uh, maybe giving advice on the back side. Of course, maybe, many will say and go back to say, oh, we shouldn't have called the Gomery Inquiry. But something that is this serious that goes to the direct uh, attention and this is potentially the responsibility of the Prime Minister does require uh, that the Prime Minister take ownership of that's probably the only advice he's going to get. I don't think the two of them have been really involved in the whole lot with this particular Prime Minister. He's decided he wants to cut his own way, and he's basically thrown a lot of old, experienced Liberals over the overboard. Uh, that aside, what I think the Prime Minister Trudeau has to do now is to not just say, I agree with the report and I disagree with the report, which is kind of like, ironic and contradictory, I think it's time for him to take ownership uh, and to own up to his fault. But what do you if think he, what do you people, think he will do? He won't. He's, gonna, he's got Gerald Butts there, who came back after a few months. He's going to rope a dope it, and he's going to try to drag this out. Um, unfortunately, he's going to tarnish our democratic institution. He's going to create a lot more strife in the country, those who, are, who say that something is wrong and ought to be, there ought to be okay. punishment, and those who don't.
0: Dan, thank you for the time. Great to be so here. Let's go talk Thanks to again, you. Roy. Have a great Bye-bye. weekend. Yeah, thank you. Dan McTague, a former Liberal MP, was also, of course, very active in um, the oil and price of fuel. You know, the, anyway, we'll talk to Dan about that going forward, but he's very busy in that regard, so we appreciate his time. Jeffrey Epstein, the billionaire who uh, was charged with and had already been convicted of sexually abusing underage girls. He was in prison in New York City and he died in his jail cell. There are many questions that are being asked about that particular death. William Barr is the Attorney General of the United States. He said this on Monday.
5: Let me assure you that this case will continue on against anyone who was complicit with Epstein.
0: Now, Mr. Barr, now that was before Epstein was judged by the New York medical examiner to, in fact, have committed suicide. There are many people who are asking questions about whether or not they agree with the medical examiner or whether they feel there's something going on here that we all need to be aware of. Interestingly, that uh, according to Rasmussen, only 29% of Americans, the polling firm Rasmussen, only 29% of Americans believe that it, in fact, was a suicide. Here are just a couple of headlines that have uh, been available to everybody over the last week or so. Warden of jail where Epstein died to be reassigned. Two staff members from his unit placed on administrative leave. And here's another one. This is the one from uh, yesterday. Epstein's death was a suicide by hanging. Medical examiner. And this is one that got my attention today. Jeffrey Epstein spent time alone with a young woman in the prison attorney's room. What? Joining me on the program is Larry Levine. Larry is the founder of Wall Street Prison Consultants. Um, Mr. Levine works with clients from federal indictment to trial to sentencing and prison survival through supervised release. And uh, Larry himself has spent 10 years in prison, from maximum security institutions to minimum security. And Larry, when we spoke, thank you for coming on the show. When you and I spoke at length a couple of days ago, you were adamant that you are not on side with this argument, the position that Epstein committed suicide. After the medical examiner declaring that's the case, have you changed your mind?
6: No, it's still a whitewash. They'll never... We'll never really know the truth. You remember Dr. Kevorkian, Roy? I do. Remember who
0: he was? I I spoke with him. I interviewed him.
6: Okay, well, it was like an assisted suicide that Kevorkian used to do. Why don't we say this was an assisted suicide? You follow me? Yeah. what I'm saying?
0: Yes, I do he know did. what you're saying.
6: He also had motive and he had opportunity to kill himself, though, and... I believe he was put into a situation that he had the necessary tools to do it. people sitting in the shoe, the whole, the special housing unit, where he does, they have limited access to things to initiate early checkout, if you will. So the whole thing is really a hoax.
0: So is it is it your sense then that he did commit suicide but they gave him or left him the tools to do that and left him alone so he could
6: I believe that but there's another I don't I'm not a conspiracy theorist I don't sit here wearing a tin hat looking for UFOs and all this but another thought crossed my mind yesterday and i was thinking about this whole thing i was actually at disneyland with my family yesterday and i had a lot of time to think waiting in those lines they say that the two staff members were asleep right right they were in the housing unit okay so we're asleep we're not aware of anything that's happening in here well gee There's the cover story. These people were sleeping. They don't know what happened. Well, what would prevent during that two hours of time that somebody snuck in there, had a key, had access, got in there? You know, it's the middle of the night. The inmates are asleep. Nobody's paying attention to what's going on. And somebody forcibly did this to him. You're not hearing that theory come out really in the mainstream media because now everybody is so stuck on the guys were asleep you know and that he killed himself and when you and I spoke the other day I don't even know if I relayed that to you did I?
0: No you didn't but does that make sense to you? Yeah, a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions. First like I ask why was there no celly? Why was nobody in that cell with him?
6: Well, okay, that's another big problem with the story. Remember how they said that this 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 tears up with inconsistencies. They said that they removed his celly yeah. shortly before he was found dead. Remember that statement? I do. Okay. If they removed his cellie shortly before he was found dead, that means they would have had to have opened up the cell door. Right. If they would have opened up the cell door, they would have saw Epstein. Right. And that means they weren't asleep then, were they? But then they're claiming they were asleep. Well, you can't have it both ways. And that also means that it wasn't five or six hours since they had really checked on him. So which was it? Were the cops asleep, or did they move the celly shortly? But also, as somebody pointed out to me, the word shortly. What does shortly mean to you, Roy?
0: Well, it means in the near future.
6: Well, okay, well, okay. We moved his celly shortly before he was found dead. Right. Is shortly an hour? Is shortly five days? (laughs) That's a good question. They won't come out and say that because they're trying to rewrite history. You follow what I'm saying?
0: I do. Like, let me they they let me bring can't. this back justify me, it. Larry, let me bring this back full circle and one of the the most fundamental question people are asking is this did Levine have information about extremely powerful people and information which could have made their lives extremely difficult and therefore he became a target? I know that starts the conspiracy ball rolling, but that's a question that's being asked. Well, sure he did. I mean, I predicted on my Facebook page
6: July 9th, before everybody did, he would never make it out of jail live. He would hang himself and they would call it a suicide because I know this stuff. And And I even said that he had stuff on Trump and he had stuff on other people, that they would have him killed. You know, when you're in business, and I'm not taking a side for Donald Trump or Clinton or any of this. I'm kind of like apolitical. I look at things how they are. I'm not a political person. That Trump knew the guy was dirty for years, but Trump was also in business. And when you're in business, you've got to deal with shady people all the time. That's a fact. So, did he have stuff on Donald? Did he not? Did he have stuff? More and more people are saying the Clintons. Mm -hmm. Well, what was the Clintons' ability? Because Clinton hasn't been president for years. What was his ability to get into a maximum security federal housing unit? Kind of like zilch. Now, Clinton and Trump both knew that, or if uh, Epstein had stuff on them, if they wanted to have Jeff Epstein killed, they could have done that anytime. They could have done that for years if they were really, really worried what he might have on them. Do you really think that they're going to wait until he's in a maximum security unit to it's, whack that's him? That's the point. You see yeah. what
0: I'm saying, no, I Roy? Do. I, I don't do. buy it. Yeah. Uh, you must be getting, Larry, you must be getting tired of being asked all these questions about no, Epstein I, and, and jail what it, and what happened to him. The questions are developing because the case is evolving,
6: and we're hearing new things come out. I don't want to say every day, but fairly frequently. And I'm surprised how big that, how much interest there is in this case in Canada. I've got a a friend of mine lives in Canada, uh, Kim Williams. She's a graphics designer that I talk to. She does a lot of my graphics. Does great work, and. She's, like, asking me questions about the case, too, and her neighbors are asking her questions because they know that she knows me, and I'm just, like, surprised that how many people up there in Canada are, like, really following this and interested it's in That's a global this. story. It's a, it's a well, story. Well, okay, yeah, hold it's, on.
0: It's global because of... Well, it's global because of who he, he is with. and who he hung out with.
6: Okay, but people... Hold on. People commit suicide in prisons across the United States every day. Mm -hmm. So it gets more into that conspiracy thing. For someone to kill themselves, it's not unusual in a prison. But if you look at MCC and MDC, there's two federal prisons there in New York City. Right. You've got the MCC Manhattan or New York where uh, Epstein passed then you've got MDC Brooklyn, the Metropolitan Detention Center. I'm writing an article right now I'm going to put out to the media about all the problems that they're having there with correctional officials, where guards have been convicted of raping and assault, all kinds of things. So the culture in these prisons for the federal prison system exist that they are negligent and they don't care so the possibility of some type of collusion in that facility it does exist and these these guys they have to say they were asleep i mean they're saying they've been reassigned maybe they'll turn up dead you know like creating a further layer of insulation
0: and more speculation let me ask you this. Well, yeah. Let, let me ask you this in the two minutes, two and a half minutes we have left. If he had lived, if he'd gone to court, if he'd been convicted and been sentenced to forty odd years, what would life in prison have been like for Epstein?
6: Shit. Oh, I'm sorry, I know mean, I can't say that. Okay. Well maybe I can in Canada, but you can't say it here.
0: No, you really can't here it's... either, but anyway.
6: Okay. He's a chomo. Chomo means child molester. Chomos are the most hated person next to informants and snitches in the entire system. Right. They would have to send him to a special yard because he would be under threat of being beaten up or possibly assaulted and killed every day. So life as he knows it essentially was over as soon as he got Mm popped. Now look at it like this. I'm going to rush all those other people that are in his case that are still alive, that will eventually be indicted, they're going to be splashed all over the news themselves. And when chomos, child molesters, go into prison, people with katie porn and such, they try to say that they're narcotics offenders, that they're there for fraud and such, a lot of them can blend in. Nobody you know, is going to know. But if you take all these people tied to Jeff Epstein's case who were splashed all over the news, they've got nowhere to hide. Yeah. And they're going to have a sorry existence. And I think Jeff Epstein, if it was like assisted suicide, he knew his life was over and life as he knew it had changed. And so he killed himself for that very reason.
0: Hey, Larry, thank you for the time. Glad to be with you. Appreciate you coming back on the show. Thank you very much. Larry Levine, Wall Street Prison Consultants at Street Justice 88 on Twitter and host of the radio program Street Justice. Now... I was on uh, advisory board for the federal public safety minister a few years ago for Correctional Service Canada for a program called CORCAN. And that's a program which instructs and provides uh, offenders, as long as they follow all the rules, with a journeyman certificate, a real legitimate journeyman certificate for the trades. And it's a tough program to get into. And so we were taken to a number of prisons just to see how... This program was developing. I got to talk to uh, inmates, offenders, and about it, and so on. There was one prison where they walked us through. Usually, we just went through one door, and there was this operation going on, and people were being taught. And we talked to the instructors and the, and the offenders. In this case, we walked through three consecutive steel doors, big steel doors, with airlocks between them before we got to a group of offenders who were in the system. And many of you can see it coming. I uh, I asked one of the guards why why all this extra security for us to get in to see these individuals. Well, they'd all been convicted of sex crimes, and many of them had been convicted of sex crimes against children. And the guard said, "That's why we have to have those layers of security because if we don't, you can imagine what's going to happen." We're going to talk about Hong Kong and China, uh, and we have a very distinguished guest to join us. I just want to take a few seconds here and play for you a report from global news correspondent Jeff Semple, who uh, will be in Hong Kong. Here's what Jeff filed about the story.
6: Hong Kong is a city in a state of perpetual protest. Yet again today, thousands marched through the streets, just like they have for the past 11 weeks now. Today, many of the protesters were teachers marching in support of the students, the young people who have largely been spearheading Hong Kong's pro-democracy movement. A lot of people were wondering whether that campaign might fizzle out after a difficult week that saw the protests turn violent, but the protesters are saying tomorrow they plan to respond with one of the biggest rallies to date. Hundreds of thousands of people
0: who are expected to march through the streets. Jeff Semple, Global News, Hong Kong. So, uh, Jeff isn't in Hong Kong, and uh, that report, obviously, from the city where, or the, the former British protectorate, which is in a very tricky situation, and China has said that they will not stand by for very much longer and allow this, and they use the word terrorism, to continue. The question also becomes is, what can China do? Because Hong Kong really is the goose that lays the golden egg for uh, for, for China in many ways. It is a tremendous economic asset to uh, China. Robert Daly is the director of the Wilson Center's Kissinger Institute on China and the United States. He served as a U.S. diplomat in Beijing and as an interpreter for Chinese and U.S. leaders, including President Jimmy Carter and Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. Mr. Daly, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, I really appreciate the chance to speak with you. Well, it's good to be with you. How do you assess what's going on in Hong Kong right now? Why is what's happening happening? And is it organized? Is there an agenda? Is there an objective?
5: Well, it's all evolving. Uh, It began about 11 weeks ago, as you said, because the Hong Kong government had proposed a new extradition law and under this extradition law uh, anybody in hong kong and indeed anybody passing through hong kong including a north american could have been extradited to mainland china to face trial in its highly politicized unfree courts and so this proposed extradition bill which was rammed through by the the hong kong government uh was seen as an attack on what remains of hong kong sovereignty by the people especially the young people of hong kong so initially they took to the streets with a very specific goal of getting of killing this proposed bill since then the demands of the demonstrators have grown
0: and and what is it they're demanding is there is there an objective here is there an end game for the for the protesters
5: well what their demands now, some of them refer to the protests themselves. They are asking, most importantly, for an independent inquiry into the role of the police in Hong Kong, who have increasingly used uh, tear gas, rubber bullets, uh, beanbag guns, and batons. So they have resorted to violence. Some of the protesters have also thrown Molotov cocktails and bricks. There's There's been some violence on both sides. But they want an independent inquiry. They want this extradition bill permanently killed. For, for now, it's been withdrawn, but it's still hovering out there in a way they don't like. They also want a declaration that these, are, these demonstrations are not riots, that they're not anti-government. And they want a sort of amnesty for people who have been arrested so far. Several hundred demonstrators have been arrested. Some of the demonstrators also want the chief executive of Hong Kong, who is essentially approved by Beijing, and is widely and reasonably seen as a puppet, her name is Carrie Lam, they would like her to step aside.
0: So uh, this isn't a throwaway question. Uh, why should we care?
5: <laughs> well, it, no, it's a, very, it's a very fair question. Uh, part of it is that we should care very much about what's happening in the greater Chinese world generally speaking uh because as canadians know all too well the nature of the chinese regime because of the size of the place because of its wealth and its ambition has implications for all of us Uh, china is increasingly able to use its wealth use its power to shape the rest of the world Uh, and it's run by a communist party an authoritarian party uh, which is illiberal in the extreme and i don't mean here to to overreach for uh an issue that isn't directly connected but uh, i'm sure that all of your listeners know about the, the two canadians who've been taken hostage yes. michael kovrig and michael spavor right this is as I say, it's straight up hostage taking because china is it sees itself as big and it sees canada as weaker uh there's been no legal process involved there that one need respect and this does tell you something about the nature of the regime, as does the, the protests of the people in Hong Kong. So that's a, that's a very broad answer. Uh, but it's, it's really about the nature of Chinese power. And the reason that Beijing is as concerned as they are is that the protesters who are demonstrating, while they're not calling for Hong Kong independence, they are fundamentally rejecting uh, rule by the People's Republic of China in Hong Kong. They want to remain free. And so I, th- I think the reason we should care is that this is a subset of a l- much bigger story about the spread of Chinese power and the spread of Chinese Communist Party practices.
0: Yeah, and again, I didn't mean that as a throwaway question. It just was a question that, that, we, that we, I like to ask people when something's happening globally, why should we care? It's obvious, and you, you explained it so, so well to us. Now, what, do we, what should we expect from the authoritarian regime of president xi what uh what are you expecting to have happen if they take decide to take action we're looking at another Tiananmen square situation
5: well uh i suspect that we probably aren't uh but of course this is a a volatile Situation, and we don't. No one really knows where this goes. I think we we can say with certainty that the Chinese Communist Party is loath to be seen as coming into Hong Kong, either with its People's Armed Police or with the PLA. If China comes in in force in that way, and we know that they're marshaling tanks and troops to the north of Hong Kong, then that would really be the end of uh, the reality as well as the myth of Hong Kong independence. That would be the end of what the Chinese uh, Communist Party calls one country, two systems. And Hong Kong would become, as is often said, uh, just another Chinese city. So again, you put your question, which is a good one, so what, You know, why, why, why should we care about this? Why does China care about this? This one country, two systems formula under which Hong Kong has been governed is also the formula that China uses to try to lure Taiwan back into the embrace of the motherland. So if Hong Kong fails, if one country, two systems, if an autonomous arrangement fails for the people of Hong Kong, then one country, two systems also will fail vis-a-vis Taiwan. And in the short term, that's important uh, for two reasons. One is that the Communist Party is celebrating the 70th anniversary of the foundation of the People's Republic of China on October 1st. And they don't want to have anti-PRC demonstrations in the street. But more importantly, there's going to be a presidential election in January in Taiwan, and the way that Hong Kong unfolds could well have an impact on the outcome there. So they don't want, they, they, they don't want to go in. Uh, would they go in? Yes. Uh, if they felt that what's going on in Hong Kong uh, was undermining stability of China itself, if they felt that it was a real continual threat to the safety of the people of Hong Kong, and as you said, they've, they've called this terrorist terrorism, then they would go in. Um, If they felt that the demonstrations were having a big impact on Taiwan, I think they would also go in. So they're willing to. We know they're willing to, but they're not champing at the bit to go in. They would pay a heavy price for going in.
0: Now, am I correct in in suggesting that the Xi regime, the Communist Party in Beijing now, is introducing, uh, maybe has been introducing for some time, far more restrictive policies than the people in mainland China had been used to for the last 20 years.
5: Yes. Uh, we have seen, since Deng Xiaoping started to open up China in the late 70s, we have seen a gradual increase in well-being, including in individual liberties in China. Now, those didn't include what we think of as, as political freedoms, freedoms of associations, freedoms of speech. But up until Xi Jinping came to power at the beginning of 2013, What most Chinese were finding was that as long as they didn't challenge the Communist Party's monopoly on political power, they were increasingly free to shape their lives as they wished. So this wasn't like the Soviet Union. You're free to leave. You can go overseas to study. 120 million Chinese a year uh, go overseas as tourists. It has the largest middle class in the world. They have a range of consumer products. They can increasingly you know, work where they wish, go to school, any place that will accept them. They just haven't had political rights. So there's been a gradual ramping up in individual freedoms, shy of political freedoms, before Xi Jinping in 2013. But since he came into power, the place has become far more repressive. They're going back to the old Mao Zedong playbook, cults of personality, uh, study sessions on Xi Jinping thought. Xi Jinping has said that all of the Chinese media are surnamed Communist Party, meaning they're just there to serve the party, Uh, and perhaps most worrisomely, Xi Jinping has been employing new technologies, uh, digital cameras, artificial intelligence, facial recognition, tied into people's social media accounts, tied into their credit ratings, to build the world's first surveillance state and a form of sort of techno-totalitarianism. This is his broad direction. Xi Jinping is all about control, And the young people of hong kong who partake in modernity from hong kong don't want to be controlled by xi jinping that's ultimately what these demonstrations are about
0: so big brother xi is watching
5: he's watching very closely as are his many surrogates in hong kong and we don't know where it goes today was notable uh, because the police for the first time in a few weeks didn't use any tear gas on the demonstrators Uh, they've walked that back today was non-violent, it was peaceful. It should also be mentioned that there were also protests today against the demonstrations and in support of the government, and there were quite a few people participating in those. Now, who were these people? How were they organized? Uh, That's fairly opaque, but it's not the case that everybody in Hong Kong is of one mind. About
0: what's going on, Mr. Daly. So, so China has claimed the United States is behind this. It's not surprising, uh, but it's the black hand of the United States. Is there special significance to that particular term? And does it all filter back, as far as the Chinese are concerned, engaging the United States to the trade impasse and the the battle over, 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 over trade and uh, and and tariffs?
5: So this claim that that. Uh, demonstrations or any kind of unrest within the Chinese world broadly uh, is orchestrated by the United States uh, by black hands or what they call external foreign forces uh, is one of the go-to claims of the Communist Party as is now the claim uh, that this is a color revolution Uh, color revolutions being seen as you know failures as disruptive as chaotic and as not working for the countries in which they're fomented and there is you know, no evidence of this. I mean, it's America's incompetence in handling its own minor affairs within its own borders, I think, is on display for everybody to see. The notion that we were somehow super competent then in arranging demonstrations in Hong Kong uh, is, is silly, and, and nor is it clear why we would do this. But, of course, if you're the Communist Party, you have to make that claim. And they're making it not so much to the people of Hong Kong, as to the people within mainland China itself. And the reason that you have to say that this is a foreign, which always means an American plot, is that if you don't say that, you have to acknowledge that these are the legitimate, real desires of the people of Hong Kong. And that's inadmissible because what they're asking for, primarily, is to be left alone by Beijing. So that is illicit. That cannot be the story you tell your people. So it has to be a story about American perfidy. What about this question of a tie to the trade war? It's a little broader than that. Um, But essentially the thrust of your question is correct in that many people in China would see the trade war, which may or may not become a currency war, uh, American government representations about Hong Kong calling for a peaceful solution. They would lump that together with American freedom of navigation operations, with what they see as the American assault on Huawei. And this is all part of a master narrative of the United States trying to hold China back and keep it from achieving its rightful destiny as a regional and global leader. Uh, the claim is that the United States has a Cold War mentality and that this is containment, because America wishes to maintain its hegemony and cannot stand a challenge. Now, broadly speaking, obviously, there, there, there's something to this this accusation that many Americans are very uncomfortable with China's rise uh, for many of those reasons. There's not nothing... To this broad claim on China's part. But in the case of Hong Kong, uh, the notion that this is engineered by the United States is patently silly.
0: Uh, one more question for you. Do you expect a, a large exodus of expats from Hong Kong? There, I think there, there's, there are hundreds of thousands uh, of uh, Canadian expats living in Hong Kong. There are
5: 300,000 Canadians, there are a roughly equal number of people holding UK passports, some that have Chinese passports. And then there are a number of uh, well-to-do, educated, accomplished uh, people of Hong Kong who probably could emigrate fairly quickly. And yes, I think that that is likely uh, one of the results that you'll see. And and some of it will be re-immigration. Of course, you had a great number of people from Hong Kong going to Canada, Vancouver and Toronto particularly in the lead-up to 1997 when Hong Kong reverted to mainland Chinese control. Between nineteen ninety seven and, and these current protests, a number of those people with Canadian passports had enough confidence that Hong Kong was stable to re emigrate back to Hong Kong, but still with their Canadian passports. So I think you'll see an exodus both of those people who who actually went to Canada first a long time ago, as well as a new group heading to Canada, Australia, the UK, the US. This will result uh, in capital flight and flight of talent as well.
0: Mr. Daly, much appreciate the time. Thank you so much for spending the uh, the half hour with us. Thank you, Roy. Uh, Robert Daly, director of the Wilson Center's Kissinger Institute on China and the United States, and uh, was an interpreter for President Jimmy Carter and Secretary of State Henry Kissinger in uh, negotiations with Chinese leaders.